Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Continuing on from where we left off this morning, it's by divine providence that it ended up that way. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it <clears throat> sorry, any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God arranged the members in the body, each one just as he chose. What is church membership? Church membership is when saved individuals identify themselves with a local church where they devote themselves to biblical doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and communal prayers. That should sound familiar because that comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Church membership is when believers devote themselves to a community of saints Loving them, serving them, contributing both to the needs of the saints and the needs of the assembly as a whole through their giftedness. That should sound familiar because that's from Romans chapter 12. Church membership is the visible demonstration of our union with Christ, our belonging to the universal church, and it illustrates our obedience to our head, which is Christ. That should sound familiar, because that's Ephesians, Colossians, Romans, and Corinthians. Church membership shows where our allegiance lie. That should not sound familiar. That's me. Self or Christ's body. Is it serious? Does it matter? I believe so. I'm working on a manual um, or a booklet for a class that we are working through. With some of you have started that class already. It's similar to the life in the Father's house. And um, in the second chapter, I have uh, actually second and third chapters, there are two things that I deal with. It's, it's membership and the duty of membership. I'm going to touch on part of that. I will merely mention the others, what the function of membership is in a local assembly. We will come back to that on Wednesday, but I'll mention it at the end of the sermon. What I want to 
focus on this morning is church leadership and membership. I want to show you that there's a relationship that implies membership. There are different approaches to membership. There's the informal approach, those who don't have an application form, who don't have a membership class, who don't have any rigid approach to membership. They just adopt people. If you come for more than two weeks, you're a member. Um, Doesn't matter if they don't apply membership, that is formally apply membership, they believe in it. They may not articulate it, but informal membership still has an idea of membership. Then there is the formal approach to membership where you go through a membership clause, where you have um, sometimes confirmations or sign a covenant or make a covenant with a church. There is a church covenant affirmation where the church stands up and affirms the covenant of that church. We are not that kind of church. But we do have church membership. may not be a rigid approach. What we believe is that you need to believe what we believe. And so we take you through basically the statement of faith, which is called the fundamentals of the faith. Thereafter, if you show yourself, not worthy, but to be loving and serving this community, then we affirm your membership. You've already demonstrated that you are part of this church by what you do for this church. So however... Whether informal or formal, no real serious biblical, Bible-believing, godly church has an open-door policy. They do not really apply free-wandering church membership. Every church requires its members to be faithful. They will preach that. Obey the Lord, commit to the church, serve in the body. What is that? That is membership. You may not have an application form to sign, but what you are doing and demonstrating is a commitment to a local body. By definition, church membership. There is essentially one point that I'm going to make this morning, and it's part of the larger discussion which I will return to in the class, living in the father's household. And it is this, the necessity of membership based on church leadership. I will look at the biblical mandate of church membership as it relates to church leadership. I will merely mention the function of church membership, and that also will illustrate the necessity of church membership. Now let's consider the necessity of church membership. The necessity of church membership. Church membership is a hotly debated matter. You can Google it and there are thousands of articles that you will read that says, yes, be a member. No, there's no such thing as church membership because membership is not found in the Bible. A lot of people make the argument that you cannot turn to one Bible passage that says you must be a member. Rightly so. There is no one Bible passage that says that. And since the word membership or church membership doesn't uh, occur in the Bible, they argue, well, there you go. It's a done deal. There is no such thing as church membership. Do you believe in the Trinity? 
Yes, we do. Is the word Trinity in the Bible? No. You can search all you want. It is not. How do we get to the idea of Trinity? Various Bible passages affirm that reality. So you have to go all over the show, both old and new, to tell us that church, um, uh, uh, the Trinity is a reality. Do you believe that preaching is a gift? Do you? I hope so. <laughs> yes, you do. Most of us do. Do you know that preaching is not in the list of gifts? Why do we believe it? Well, Jesus preached, right? The apostles preached. And Timothy is commanded to what? Preach the word. So you go all over to get to the idea that preaching has to be a gift because certain people are commanded to do that task in church life. We can deduce this. The same goes with church membership. It is possible to prove the principle of church membership from a variety of different passages. So is it possible that you can go to a Bible passage and say, well, here you go, this implies church membership? Yes, there are many. I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 4. The first point I want to highlight in our discussion this morning is that shepherdology implies membership. You may not know what shepherdology is, but I think it's implicit in the word. I want you to see that ecclesiastical shepherdology and church leadership expects or presumes and necessitates membership. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at the governing verb in verse 11. He gave. That's important because it will come up again later. God gave. Or Christ gave, depending on who you view is in verse 9. It's probably Christ as a whole, I'm going to say God, because Christ is still God. So God has given leaders or these specific offices to the church for a specific reason. So let me put it this way. Leaders are given to the church. It's God's gift to the church. Now, there are people that will go boss over this fivefold ministry. That will tell you must have all of these five-fold um, uh, offices in the church. You must have an apostle. You must have a prophet. You must have an evangel and shepherd teachers. How many are there, though? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers. It's fourfold. It's not a fivefold ministry. Shepherds and teachers are one thing. Secondly, at the time of this writing, it is true that God gave these offices, including pastor teachers, to the church because they were still around. Apostles and prophets and evangelists were still around. 
These are gifts given to the church and offices that were part and parcel of the foundation of the church. What we don't have today are the first three. The gift of apostleship, or the office I should say, the office of prophet and the office of evangelists. What we do have today is the office of shepherd teacher. Now the word here for shepherds is, I'm going to use a Greek word, I don't often do this, but I'm going to do it for a reason. Poimenos. It's the plural of poimen, which implies multiple shepherds. The two nouns, shepherds and teachers, plural, are connected. In Greek grammar, where it's called a noun or phrase, when they are connected in this way, the one is the other or qualifies the other. It either tells us what they do or who they are. The shepherding is marked by teaching. A shepherd is by nature a what? Teacher. Tells us what shepherds look like and what they do. Shepherds like real shepherds who look after sheep are to care, protect, and sacrificially display loyalty to the sheep. Why were they given? Well, Paul tells us. Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. But note that right at the end, I'm not going to go through this because I've touched on this before. For the building up of the body. So there's two things that, one thing that results from this equipping. So God gives the shepherd teachers to the church to equip the church to do the work of ministry. And as a result of that, what happens? There is a building up of the body. Now this word building up is a construction term. It literally means to build up something. It can mean to edify. And in very few occasions it is translated that way. And I like the way that the ESV and I think the legacy uh, um, maintains that literal sense. To build up the body. Either way, whichever way you go, whether it's edify or whether it's build up. Christ is building his church through the presence of pastor teachers by means of the edification and equipping of the church that the church may build itself up. Did you get that? While individuals are included in the body of Christ, the local church is where the building of the body takes place. Not individually, not at home, not online. It is here in the midst of God's people by means of the teaching from the platform or the pulpit of God where God builds you up so that you will build up one another. So shepherds were given for a very specific task. This task is and can only be expressed in a local Church. Paul is by no means suggesting that shepherd teachers are to shepherd the universal church. Is that possible? Not at all. The universal church is the body of believers throughout the age of the church 
true believers that is incorporated into the body of Christ that exists all over the world at the same time, whether in heaven or on earth. That is what the universal body is. We as pastors are not responsible for shepherd in Oklahoma, for um, sheep in Oklahoma, or for, for sheep in Mitchell's Plain, or for sheep in Belleville. Now, you may live there and you know, come here. Then we are responsible for you. It's not possible to shepherd the universal church. Who is the shepherd of the universal church? Christ. But God demonstrates his shepherdology through earthly shepherds. So he provides his shepherding role through people on earth. I should say through teachers on earth. Question. Who are shepherds responsible for? Flock, right? Sheep. Even though they may be stinky. They are still responsible for them. Turn over to John chapter 10. We find this example in Jesus. I can tell you that sheep smell. We, we lived on a farm in the U.S. Literally on a farm. And one year the farmer allowed sheep to graze his ground for obvious reason. And they were probably about 50 meters from the house. Could be maybe less. And I was in the house behind a glass window, and I could smell them. Now, I do have a very sensitive sense of smell. So when my boys um, are outside playing, I can, like the sheep, smell them a mile away. There's a reason why sheep smell. Ever thought about that? Doesn't matter if they wash. They smell. So that the shepherd could pick up their what? He knows where they are. Look at John chapter 10 verse 5. A stranger, they, who's they? The sheep, will not follow. The word stranger here is not really captivating the idea of what is behind this word. It's literally another from a different geographical location. So it's another shepherd just from a different location. Keep that in mind. So it's a shepherd who's not their shepherd. So a strange shepherd, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know his voice or the voice of the stranger or the strange shepherd. The figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So if my sheep come through me, they remain in me. They are part of my fold. They are part of my flock. There is a possessive aspect implicit in shepherding a flock. Now vote. No, no voting. Now note verse 13. 
the hireling or the hired hand. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The best example of shepherdology is Jesus as sheep, a shepherd over his flock. The hired end, the guy who comes in and stands in for the shepherd while he's away, does not care for the sheep. Often visiting preachers, they do that. They don't care about you, so they just say things that sometimes unsettle the sheep. There's maybe two of you that was, that's in this church. If you remember years ago, there was a pastor who ventured, who ventured into this pulpit, not, not here, but um, he, our shepherd was away. And he went at the sheep for allowing a little music box. Because that's all we had. We had no musicians. A little music box to play ting-tong music in the background so that we could sing. The, the music was horrible. But he was highly offended that in the makeup of his music, there was a doof, doof, doof. He said, the devil has entered the church. I don't know what he would say <laughs> now. The hired hand does not care about that sheep. Why? Because it's not his, not his own. But the true shepherd, the one to whom the sheep belongs, he cares for his own. Why? Because there's a personal relationship between shepherd and the sheep. Jesus is the example of the shepherd-sheep relationship. When we look at, as pastors, for an example to follow, we look to the great and chief shepherd, Jesus, our Savior. Now, yes, he is your shepherd if you're a believer. If you are not, you need to come to the door, go through the door, and find pasture. So seek him as your shepherd, and you will find earthly shepherds who will shepherd you. On his behalf. God gave shepherds. God gave shepherds to care for the sheep. God gave shepherds to care for the sheep like Jesus cares for his sheep. That is a huge task. Now go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. One Peter five. Notice what he says in verse one. I exhort you, uh, so, so I exhort the elders among you, speaking to the church about who the elders are and what their relationship is. It's literally in among. So those who come from you, or those who are over you, or those who are from you. Either way, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, so it is not yet revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is in among you, exercising oversight, not on a compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not 
for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering uh, over those in your charge, but, but being examples to the flock. Note the call in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. Peter calls the leaders of the church to shepherd, that is to care for, to protect, to sacrifice for, to love, to nurture, to warn, to teach the flock of God. Yes, we love you as our own and we claim you as our own, but who do you ultimately belong to? To God. So he says, do the work of a shepherd. The command here is in the form that expects an immediate response. Start doing it. Just get on with it. The sense of this verb, shepherd, includes the activity of oversight, protecting, leading, encouraging, discipling, guarding, guiding, and feeding. All inclusive in that single word, shepherd. Understand that occupation of a shepherd in the natural aspect was not a desired um, occupation. The Jews, I shouldn't say the Jews, in the ancient Near Eastern context, and by the time that this letter is written, it was demeaned. They they considered it as, as as, as a despised occupation. Yet this is the language that is used of those who care for the flock of God. Do the job that nobody wants to do. Do the dirty work. Care for the stinky sheep. Love them regardless of how they respond. They are wandering sheep. Care for them. They are biting sheep. Care for them. They are smelly sheep. Care for them. The action as a whole is commanded with urgency. Get to the task. Shepherd the flock of God. Note the scope in verse 2 as well. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The scope of shepherding is expressed by a little preposition that is literally two words in Greek. In. So more accurately, it should say, shepherd the flock in you. Now in English, that doesn't make sense, but that's the idea. So when authors want to show a relationship of possession or a relationship to something, then often this preposition is used. Can you think of anywhere else where the word, is, where the word in is used of a relationship with somebody? Yes, in Christ. We are in Christ. There's a close, unified union and relationship with Christ. Inseparable relationship with Christ. That's how Paul uses this preposition. In Christ, members of Christ, belonging to Christ, all of that is included. And Peter has the same idea of shepherding the flock of God that is in you. That belongs to you, or that you are part of, or that is part of you. There's an element of belonging and association of the shepherd to the sheep and the sheep to the shepherd. In other words, 
They are sheep that has been given to you. You see this in verse 3. Take note. Now domineering over those in your charge. I'll get back to that in a moment. Not bullying, bullying those who are in your charge. Or those who are under you. There is personal responsibility of the shepherd over the sheep. Now, what has it got to do with membership? God will not command shepherds to care for sheep if the sheep are not responsible to or accountable to who? The shepherds. There's a relationship between sheep and shepherd. And if, how can God hold us accountable for you if you don't belong to us? Note the manner. In verse 2 still. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. I'm just going to walk through this. It gives us eight ways in which shepherds are to act. Are to exercise their shepherdology. Exercising oversight literally means to look upon, to observe, to examine the state of the affairs, to look into, or to look over. It's only used twice in the New Testament, 1 Peter 5, 2, and in Hebrews 12, 15. And both relate to the work of a shepherd to the sheep. It expresses a careful regard for those under your care. It is personal attention given and providing oversight to those over whom you are looking. Again, what does this have to do with membership? To have no shepherds over you is to have no oversight over you. God provides shepherds who are to watch out for you, to watch over you, to oversee you, to look into your life, to look over your life, to protect you from yourself and from others. When you say, no, I don't want a shepherd over me, you remove yourself from that gift that God has given you as a sheep. So let me ask you then. Who is overseeing you? Who's watching over you? Secondly, not under compulsion. Still in verse 2. Shepherds are to eagerly and sacrificially care for the flock. Not by force. Not doing it unwillingly. Not out of obligation. Not because the wage is good. Not because the sheep are good. Not because the sheep love you. You do it because God has called you to it. He should not occupy the office reluctantly. In fact, this is contrasted by the next word. But willingly. No compulsion. There is no reluctancy. There is a voluntary, willful Taking up of the task. Fourthly, as God would have you. This is how shepherds are to shepherd. 
Not based on their own desires, not based on some church model, not based on what others are doing, but based on what God says in His Word. This is how you must shepherd. Not according to your own will, not, by, not according to some ancient creed, not according to personal desire, but according to the law or the rule of God with regards to shepherding. Not for shameful gain, sixthly. You don't do it for monetary gain or for dishonest gain, as some translations say. Both are, are fine. The job is without great reward. Peter and Don freely serve you, literally freely serve you without compensation. I'm the only one that is paid in this church. It is without promotion or prestige. Yet you do it. Why? Because this ministry is not for self, but for God, not even for the sheep. Seventhly, do it eagerly. That's enthusiastically. They love to do it. Not because the sheep love them, because sometimes the sheep don't. And they bite. Yes, some sheep bite. Sometimes they bite hard. Some sheep can be dangerous. Regardless of how the sheep treat you, you do it eagerly. Your task of shepherding is not dependent on the response of the sheep. Not domineering over those in your charge. That is, we as shepherds are not to bully you into decisions. We can't force you to serve. We can't force you to give. We can't command anything to you, uh, of you other than what God demands of you. Take note of this. It's in verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge. What does that mean? The word literally means an allotted care. It's used of those who have been given an inheritance, an allotted inheritance. Those who have a marked out possession. Let that sink in. Do not do it domineering over those who have been allotted to you. Did you get that? I said to you, that verb he gave will become significant later on. God not only gives shepherds to the sheep, but also, also God gives sheep to the what? Shepherd. God gave to this church the sheep that are here. And when you say no, I refuse to submit to leaders. I refuse to become a member of this church. I refuse, or whatever church that is biblical in modeling, in, 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 in model. When you refuse to come underneath shepherds, you are saying, I don't need your gift of shepherds, God. I'm fine by myself. You don't need to allot me to anybody because I can take care of myself. Well, evidently, God doesn't think so. And so he takes you and places you in a community that has shepherds that would care for you. And you are saying no? God allots you to a community. Now, I don't know how that works. 
Don't ask it on Wednesday. I don't know and I don't fully understand how that functions in, in how people find churches. Doesn't matter. The implication is pretty clear. If you are here and you've committed to this church, you've been here for a long time and have not expressed any sense of desire to be under the shepherds of this community, what are you saying? God, I don't need your help in how I need to live as a sheep. God has allotted you a shepherd. I should say shepherds because it's always plural. And then lastly, he says, this is how shepherds need to do it. By being examples to the flock. The contrast here is to show instead of doing the wrong things, do the right thing and demonstrate to the sheep how they ought to live. Now you may be thinking, what on earth does this have to do with membership? This is about pastors. I'm not preaching to Peter and Don. Because this is not written specifically to just the pastors. Why? Because the sheep need to know how the pastors ought to act. And this is written for the pastors, the shepherds, to know how they ought to relate to the sheep. Everything that is said here relates to how we lead God's flock. Note the last part of the sentence. Being examples to your flock or to the flock of you. Again, English doesn't make that much of a sense. So that's why it's translated your, uh, to the flock in the sense in this verse. Again, that shows possession. Your flock. The flock you were given. The flock that belongs to you. This is what you need to do for your flock. Shepherds have a duty to the sheep. And sheep must have a commitment to their shepherds. Are shepherds perfect? By no means. There is one good, great, chief and perfect shepherd. That is Jesus Christ. We are not. Despite that. Despite that. Despite the fact that sheep will bite hard and sometimes draw blood, despite the fact that we as shepherds will fail you, God still expects us to have a shepherd-sheep relationship. What does this have to do with membership? God gave shepherds to this church as well as sheep to the shepherds of this church. In other words, God provides the kind of leaders you need for where you are right now. And God provided us the kind of people we need for where we are right now. God expects sheep to be under shepherds. And God expects shepherds to, sheep, to, to shepherd his flock. To be alone and without a shepherd is to be disobedient to God. Why? Because he provides both, shepherd and sheep, to one another. You are fit for this church, and if you find another church that you are fit for, that's probably the place that God wants you to be. If you are fit for this church, and, and God has gifted you in a way that will, will edify us and encourage us, then you belong under our shepherding. You belong with this flock. 
He marked you out and determined which shepherds you need to be under. And I know it's difficult because we don't know the mind of God, but sometimes God makes it clear to us. This is the place that you belong. Again, if you are without shepherds, let me ask you, who's taking care of you? Who's watching out for you? A TV pastor? An old recording of your favorite preacher? The shepherd down the road who you frequently visit? Is he really caring for your soul? So then, sheep are not to be spiritual stragglers. I'm sure you know what that means. It's to be separated from a group of spiritual stragglers. Dawdling through life by their lonesome self. I know it's bad language, but I like it. That is an act of disobedience. Sheep are not to be stranded without shepherds. Let me put it in Cape Flats, Afrikaans. Sheep are not supposed to be strandloopers. You know what that is, right? Lone Rangers. A one-man band. Now, we do have a one-man band in our music team. We won't mention his name. Mark Guillaume. Sheep belong to shepherds. It's interesting that the word um, uh, poimain included in that word is sheep. You can hear it. Shepherd. Shortened version of sheep. The one E falls out. It's, it's connected. You cannot be sheep without a shepherd. You may say, well, I have Christ as my shepherd. Yet Christ gives shepherds to the church. That means, yes, you are under him, but he wants you to be under his people that he provided. Are all shepherds good? Not by all means. Are we good? I would hope that we are good to you as sheep, shepherds. All these qualities that God describes here are required of the shepherd in their relationship to the sheep, not to God. It's for God, but to the sheep. God wants us as shepherds to have a high standard, a godly life, a heart for the sheep, and an example, exemplary life laid out before you so that you could follow us, follow the chief shepherd. Now listen to verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Why will they, we as shepherds, receive the unfading crown of glory? Not just because we were given the task, but that we actually did the task. That you fulfilled your duty to shepherd the flock of God. There's a corollary to this. Go over to Hebrews chapter 13. There's a significance in here that I want to highlight before we wrap up. Hebrews 13 verse 17. Here you will see Church leadership as a whole implies membership. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey the leaders of you. Obey your own leaders. Again, possession, they belong to you. You belong to them, so obey them. You don't obey other pastors. Now, yes, when you listen to other pastors and make biblical statements, you want to apply the biblical truths, but who are you accountable to? Your leaders. I know it's hard. All you have are the three of us. But God still expects you to obey us. As bad as we may be at the task, God still expects us, you, to obey. God requires that saints in a local church obey the leaders that are given to that local church. Again, the personal pronoun here, you, implies possession of. Those belonging to you, your leaders, those whom you have adopted as yours. It's not only that the shepherds make the sheep their own, but the sheep in a reciprocal relationship says, yes, we'll accept you as our shepherds, as our leaders. The leaders are yours. The leaders are given to you by God. Again, the word leaders here is plural, just like shepherds, implying plurality of leaders. The church ought to obey the leaders that has been given to them. Not the senior pastor, not their favorite pastor, or their pastors. Secondly, there is an element of submitting willingly. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Willingly submit to them. The word submission here means resist no longer. To heal to. A willing surrender to them. Think about it. If you are not submitting to your leaders, who are you submitting to? Yourself? You are submitting to somebody. Even if you don't like what leaders decide in a church, and sometimes we make bad decisions, sometimes we drop the ball, the command is still the same. Obey and submit. Now, I would say that Peter done a little bit more logical and approachable than I am. Some of you know that as men. Um, I think I am approachable in some things. (laughs) You can come to me. Um, regardless of who we are as individuals the same goes for regardless of who you are as sheep God expects us to love you, serve you, guide you, protect you the same goes for you to us God expects you to submit, willingly follow and obey despite your disagreements with us and I'm sure there is Even if there's a misunderstanding, the sheep must try to work it out with the shepherds. Why? Because God has given you to us, and God has given us to you. There's a relationship 
that God has established. Submit to godly counsel. Now, sometimes we don't give godly counsel. If it's not godly, don't follow it. I have no right to tell you anything other than God does not tell you. Church members are not independent of the leaders, and leaders are not independent of the church. God gives both to each other. Submission cannot happen if there's no relationship between the leaders and the church. For those of you who are not members, it is hard to submit and follow our instruction, right? You don't have to. You're not members. And sometimes you resist against some of the decisions because you are not members. Submission and obedience to church leadership implies being under that leaders. Let me give you an example. Who do wives submit to? Their own husbands, the Bible says. Very clearly, their own husbands. Now, it's not husbands in the plural form. It's their own single husband. The women in this church don't submit to me, and I'm glad they don't, as their husband, because I am not. We don't have, what is that thing? Um, Yeah, that's the technical term. Anyway, I won't go down the road. Husbands cannot lead other wives. Men, you have no right to walk up to another woman and say, listen, you need to dress properly. No, she's not your wife. Smack yourself behind the head. Church leaders has the right to instruct church life as God would have us do. But I have no right to walk into your house and govern your wife. Furthermore, children have their own parents. You know this. Doesn't matter if he's a teen. Teens, we have a saying that their brains are like mashed potatoes. It's mush. You know that. You've come through it. Doesn't matter if they don't fully understand the father daughter, father son relationship when they're in their teens. They start to rebel. They want their own way. My mom smacked me and said, I am not putting up with your identity crisis. I'm glad she did that because it woke me up. Today it would be called child abuse. In the same way, church members, you don't just swap when you feel like it. Just because you disagree, with your pastors doesn't mean, oh, I'm jumping ship. That's it. You can't become children of another father just because you will it so. It doesn't happen. Even if a father adopts another child, that child becomes his. There is no such thing as step children. They are your children. Adoption is the taking up of another that is not yours and making them yours. So if you have adopted children, don't call them my stepchildren or my stepfather. That is your dad. He's taking care of you. I think you understand the responsibility and the weight. That comes from God's word, not from me, not from Don and not from Peter. Now, if we are heretical, 
by all means, leave and find a godly church. If we are radical, do all that you can and get rid of us. Don't submit to heresy. If I'm going out of line in my teaching, I expect you to challenge me on it. I love that about this church. You hold us accountable. And we ought to hold you accountable as well. Notice the reason why you are to obey and submit. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Wow. That may not mean anything to you, but that is a weight over my heart. The word keep watch means to abstain completely from sleep. My wife can attest to this. There are nights that I have sleepless nights. That, that I am kept awake, I wake up at two in the morning and I go study or I go pray or I go, go read to keep my heart at peace because there's a lot of counseling that weighs me down. Not, not you, but the situation that I, I have to lay before the Lord and that I have to work through. It literally means to pass sleepless nights, to be sleepless, to lie awake and think about, to remain vigilant and not sleep, to be fully aware of the threatening peril. That is the task that God gives to us on your behalf. To be alert and consistently care and watch over your souls. In other words, leaders are given to be the watchmen of your souls. What a protection. God loves you so much that he doesn't want you to wander as a lonesome sheep in this world. Now leaders, this goes to Peter, Don and myself, have to be equipped to watch over your souls. That means that we constantly have to study. We constantly have to look at the horizon. What's coming in? What is happening to the music? What is happening uh, in the theological circles? We have to read a lot more than you do. We have to study a lot more than you do. Because if we are not prepared and it takes us by surprise, it's going to go overwhelm you. Shepherds are to sit with a staff and a club. To protect and to ward off. We need to dismantle any danger, any theological heresy, or any person that causes conflict in this church. That is our responsibility. Leaders are given to care for you. Now, I said it before, we are not perfect. We do drop the ball. We have shortcomings. And that's why you pray for your leaders. You should pray for us. Because we look out for you. When saints refuse to become members of a church, they reject the grace of God and the gift of leaders who are to watch over your or their souls. Often uncommitted Christians are open to exploitation and heresy. 
They don't know how to handle it. I'm going to mention one more thing and then I'll just wrap up. As those who will give an account, those who will give an account, God has given you to us and for each one of you, we have to give an account. Now if you are not under our shepherding, who's giving account for you? Have you thought about that? If you're not under a pastor, and the Lord should come now, I don't know. I don't know. I'm presuming then that you have to give an account for yourself. Because God has given shepherds to give account, to speak on behalf of, to answer for the sheep that he's given them. Who's going to report to the Lord for you? Leadership implies membership. The commands that God gives regarding the obedience and the submission and the relationship would make no sense if the sheep don't belong to the leaders or the shepherds. God does not have to make shepherds accountable to sheep for the sheep. But he does. Why? Because he's given the sheep. To them, And so he wants them, the shepherds, to give an account of the sheep he has given. There are a few other things that make the case for church membership. For instance, church purity demands church membership. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Expel the brother from your midst from among you. Cleanse out the leaven. Why? So that the church could be pure. You see it in Matthew chapter 18 as well. You go tell it to the church and then the church deals with him, the unrepented sinner, as an unbeliever. Church purity implies membership. The titles for the church implies membership. It is called a household of God. It is called God's building. It is called Christ's house. It is called the body of Christ. All of those titles of the church implies being part of, being fitted into. One of the biggest elements that you cannot argue against is the one another's. All the one another's implies... Membership. The word literally means, uh, is literally in Greek, alone. Sounds like all alone. Does not mean that at all. It means one to another. There's a reciprocation between two. Both are active in the process, process of edifying one another, loving one another, giving to another. Um, all of that implies a unite, uh, a unitedness, a union. You can't do that with a universal church. The function of church members implies active church membership. <clears throat> this is expressed in love towards one another in Romans chapter 12. The exercise of gifts towards one another in Romans chapter 12 verse 6. 
How do you, what do you do with the gift that God has given you? It's not given for you. First Corinthians chapter 12. It's given for the church, the edification and the building up of the body. So if you're sitting with a gift or even a talent and it's not used amongst the body of Christ, what are you doing with it? Discipleship implies membership. Older men are to invest in the lives of younger men. That's in a church context. Older women must invest in the lives of younger women. It's not about giftedness. It's, it's required of all older godly men to take the time and spend time with them. I would go as far as to say as even older couple, invest in younger couples. Whether they're married or not, have them over for meals. You, you're hitting both commands in one swoop. How are you able to be discipled by a church if you are not committed to that church? Church life provides the environment for ongoing mentorship and discipleship. When we remove ourselves from active membership, you say to the Lord, thanks for the offer, but no thanks, I am fine. Membership matters to God, so it should matter to you. If you are a believer, you should be part of a local church. You should find a church that you can submit to its leaders where the Bible is being preached and obeyed. If it's not this church, go find somewhere that you can submit. Membership is an important element of church life. God makes it a priority, so should you. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to you for your patience with us. We know we fail on a lot of fronts. We are not always as obedient as we should be as members. We pray that you would help us. Forgive us. Help us to work through the challenges that we may be facing with regards to various decisions. Pray for wisdom. Thank you for the patience you have given to the members of this church with us as leaders of this church. Thank you for the love that we can share as a community of saints. Thank you for the devotion that you have given to these members. Thank you for the growth that you have given to us in our souls, in our walk with you, in our understanding of the word, in our obedience. Thank you for your gracious work of giving the sheep that you have given to this church and to us as leaders. Thank you for the leaders that we have, and we pray that we would never take advantage of your flock. Father, forgive us where we fail as leaders. Help us to be wise in our decisions. Help us to always desire to honor you first and foremost, and then care for the flock that you have given to us in the way that will honor you. Father, keep your hand over this local church that we may be a voice 
in this community, that we may be a shining light of the gospel, that we would be exemplary in the way that we live, in what we do, and how we conduct ourselves, even to other churches. Spread the flame of our passion and our desire for you abroad, whether it is to other regions in South Africa or even abroad, further than that, Lord. Raise up men who are able to carry the flame of the gospel, men who can take over the mantle of leadership, men who desire mission work. Pray for couples who desire to be faithful to you in certain areas that we may even be able to start Bible studies there and start a church there for your glory and for your honor alone. Father, we need you to sustain this church, to keep this church, to guide this church, to protect this church. We need you to help us, to honor you. We pray these things that you may be magnified in every single believer here today. For your name's sake we pray. Amen.